It is truly a privilege to be here with you again. I had the privilege of being with you back in the uh, beginning of 09, and I am just impressed with how God continues to be at work here in your midst and how he continues to, to send out from your midst. And uh, I have, since 09, had the privilege of, of being with a number of uh, different ones from this church as you have come out and blessed uh, just a whole large groups of, of Southern Baptist missionaries who work through the IMB. And you bless them with worship. You bless them with uh, being able to care for their kids. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that there are missionary children that have been touched and brought to Jesus by some of your workers from right here in this church. And I thank you for that. I know you're also on mission in lots of other ways here locally and literally around the world. And for that, I, I, I really do thank you. Uh, today, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that uh, I first uh, dealt with on the 19th of February at uh, Golden Gate Seminary. And since, since that time, uh, I've had three things that happened to me that, that uh, have sort of changed, not the content, but maybe some of the questions then, some of the things about this passage that I want to talk to you about. So you'll see where a Mormon man, my 20-year-old daughter, and a song have helped me with this passage. So as you get your Bible, I ask that you take it, turn to the, 20, to the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, and we're going to start in verse 8. But let, let's set a context here uh, before we get to this. You, you know God had chosen a people. He had worked with, with the children of Israel. And, he, and, and all of that sort of walked all the way through the life of David. And, and David walked and was one, even though he sinned grievously. Uh, Psalm 51 showed how he was able to just totally repent and give his heart and walk completely with the Lord. And, and, and out of that, his son Solomon came, the wisest man in the world, supposedly the smartest guy who was heard of, his wisdom was heard everywhere, and God gave him the privilege of building a great temple, and, and worship was just coming around. But you know, sometimes really smart people, when they don't continue giving all that they have to God, can create some of the largest blunders in all of history. And Solomon was one such. In order to have peace with the Pharaoh, he said, I'll marry your daughter. And you know what? He married her daughter and she brought her gods. And he started that pattern. And, you know, 699 other wives and they all brought their gods. And that wiped out the very nature, the very heart, that core of what it meant to be a a, a Yahweh server, a, a worshiper of Yahweh in that place. They built idol worship all on the high places. And, and, and the people who once worshipped God were characterized by a Jezebel-like spirit. And God said, I'm not done with you, but I'm going to discipline you. And, and you remember, he sent that conquering army in and they took the children of Israel to Babylon. And, and there they were in servitude. There they were not together, but in that place, God began to work in their midst. And, and when we come here to starting in the 40th chapter, really following, uh, and in the 43rd chapter in particular, uh, 
God says, I'm going to do something quite different. I'm going to make a difference. So if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, turn to verse 8 of chapter 43. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gathered together, and the peoples assembled. Who among them can declare this? And show us the former things. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. Let them hear and say it is true. Now, of the first people, God says, You are my witnesses, declare Yahweh the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me, I, I am the Lord, Yahweh. Besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God. What a strange passage. God is sitting here and, uh, and, and he is making witnesses out of people who have eyes but are blind. Have ears but don't hear. Uh, he is saying, you know, this is, this, is, this is what my people look like. This is what I have to, to depend on. Uh, as they are mine and they are supposed to be following me, they still don't see and they still don't hear. I was traveling on a plane after I spoke on this uh, passage on the 19th of February and a Mormon man sat down beside me. Very nice, well-dressed, very successful, uh, running his own international business, and uh, making a great difference. And we began to talk, and he told me, he said, you know, I was uh, in the CBs, I was working on Okinawa, and uh, I met a Japanese girl, I began to learn some Japanese, and lo and behold, that Japanese girl was Mormon. I go, wow. He said, many Japanese are Mormons. You know, we're growing faster, the Mormon church is growing faster outside the United States than in the United States. And he said, you know, I, I was real interested in her, so I decided I'd go with her to church to prove her wrong. But, you know, I went there, and as I went there, I, I was caught by the fact. Good family values. I like that. You know, he grew up in San Francisco. He had had a taste of the gospel, but, but really had lived a life that really didn't have that kind of family background. Uh, he said, man, these people, they're serious. They don't drink alcohol. They don't drink coffee. They don't smoke cigarettes. And they tithe. I mean, we all know about Nick Romney, Mitt Romney and his tithing. Uh, I mean, these are upright people. And he said, you know, 
I have the witness in my life that because of what I have done following God and being this, that I am right. What I've done has made me right with God. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, um, have you read the New Testament? He said, you know, I've read the Pearl of Great Price and I've read uh, Doctrines and Covenants and that makes a lot of sense to me, but the, the New Testament is often cryptic. I, I don't quite get it. I said, well, you know, in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for by grace are you saved, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. Because we have been saved by Christ. He said, I know what you believe. He said, a bunch of Christians, you know what y'all do? You go to church and you stand up and say, I believe. And then you go out and live like however you want to live. You drink, you're corrupt, you do whatever. He said, that doesn't attract me. Ooh. I mean, I'm wounded. I, 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 I want to have a rebuttal. I, I remembered at that point what the Lord pointed me to. He said, well, John, y'all are not the first like this. He said, uh, remember on the Emmaus Road there in Luke 24? He said, they were going down the road, and Jesus came up and said, um, haven't y'all heard of this stuff? He said, what things? And then they said, uh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Boom. <laughs> right there. Two disciples. They had walked with Jesus. They, they had seen things. Now, they, they weren't in the inner group, but they had seen stuff. Man, they'd seen stuff that, George, you wish you had seen. But what? A man. Who was a prophet? Mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. Boom. Blind. Missed it. What? I mean, he's not a man only. We just recited it from up here. He is man, fully man, and fully God. Uh, he came into the world not like anybody else. He came to redeem. He came to change. He, he goes on down here and he says to them after he's listened to them a little while, Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It was necessary for the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Christ, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. And not only here, you, you come right over to the next uh, place where he enters back into that upper room. And he said, why are you guys troubled? Why do you doubt? Why do these doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands? See my feet? See all that I am? I'm not a spirit. I am flesh and blood. And I died and rose again. And he goes down here and he goes on and explains these words. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in Moses, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms will be fulfilled. And then he goes on to explain how all of those speak of him. The, these were people who had walked with him. These are people who had talked with him, but still blind to who he really was, still deaf to what he really said. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, uh, 
God is coming and he is saying, I am taking my people. I have not forgotten them. When they turn their back on me, I do not turn my back on my people. I pursue them for a purpose. Because what does he say right after that? He has the nations gathered. He's got the peoples assembled. And what he is calling out saying, prove to me that your gods are true. And basically... He makes the indictment here. No one, no one, no one can, can stand up against him. And then he says, the nations are important to me. You say, well, why is that? You remember Abram. Abram was married to a barren woman. It says that right in, in uh, the 11th chapter of Genesis. And then he comes over into the 12th chapter and God makes a promise there what is his promise I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth all the families all the nations of the earth through your seed from that moment God's promise was guaranteed and said that all peoples all nations all languages all tribes would be blessed. Last Thursday, I got here and my 20-year-old daughter, she called me. Well, she, she was born in North Africa and she grew up overseas. And um, when she was in school, she was going to school at uh, the Amman Baptist School and in Arabic. And, and so, you know, I, I read, probably some of you read the, uh, the book, uh, The West Point Way, you know, the harder right way, it's sort of their little code that they put out in that book. And so she called me and she said, Dad, I'm sitting there, I'm tired. She says, you remember what you told me about the harder right way, choosing the, the harder right way, going after something. Not, there are other right ways, but the harder right way gets you further and really gets you more complete. That is what I am struggling with tonight. Am I going to just take the sure way or am I going to take the harder right way? Boom. I walked in there and I said, God, I, what? You said, you are my witnesses. God, that's your way. That's the harder right way. Now, instantly, you can think about this for a second, and you get it. If God is choosing Michael and Gabriel or Craig and George, who do you think is going to be the quickest and most effective? <laughs> you know, big sword flashing up there, big shield, you know, bright light. Who knows how tall? And with all sorts of awesome power, going and said, Repent, come to God right now. Or George humbly walking into a village and saying, Jesus loves you. Here's the salvation story. Woo. God about doing things the hard way. He's, he's, he's choosing us to be his witnesses. He, he constantly does this. I was standing at the Jerusalem gate uh, several years ago, and I was looking there, and I was going, Jesus, why did you enter the city on a donkey? You're, you're, you're the king of glory. You're the creator of the world. You could have said to the lions, come here. 
Let me ride you in. I mean, we see Dr. Doolittle do that in the movies. I mean, surely God could do that. He could have ridden a lion in there on that day, and Pontius Pilate would have gotten out of his palace and come down there and said, there's something different about you because you can make a wild beast obey you and bring an intimidation on that world. But God said, no, no, no. Uh, I'm going to make you, people from the backside of nowhere, Galileans, my witnesses, declares Yahweh, my servant whom I have chosen, that you might know and believe me and understand that I am he. I mean, right there in that passage of Scripture, he tells us the very secret. He wants us to know him personally. It is not simply about building from new believers in, but in witness, in walking with him, in trusting him, we get to know who he is. We get to believe. We get to follow him. You, you, you know what it says there in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to, to please him. But what do we do? If you're going to have faith, you got to believe he exists. And then you got to draw near. And then he will reward you with knowing him. And knowing him is at the core of what it means to be a witness. It is not simply to have the facts of the Bible memorized, but it is knowing him and walking with him. And that's what our world needs. It needs witnesses that come out with a knowledge of him in a simple and easy way. And they begin to be real witnesses. Because what does he say down here? He keeps on going. Look at it. He said, I am Yahweh. I am. I am he. You, you, if you're listening to it in the original, you, got, you don't have a, 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 a second to move because the, the I am verb and the Yahweh, those are the same verbal form. One's a verbal noun and one is a noun, a verb. I am he. That's who he is. I am that I am. I was and will be. I, I was, I am, and I will be. That's who he is. That's how he introduces himself. Then he goes on, he says, I want to, test this world i want you to be able to test this world before me no god was formed george you just talked about going into those hindu villages i remember as a child living in Guyana, most of the people were hindu and they had formed their own gods that they had made their gods i i remember walking in the streets of bangkok and i walked past this this idol it looked very Hindu to me. They said it wasn't, but it sure looked Hindu to me. And there was this woman on the other side intently praying to this idol. And she had a row of dancers behind her because they had to have dancers there to attract the attention of the God they had formed and made. What does it say here? Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. We, we, we talked about it. The idols, uh, the gods of the people are idols, worthless idols. They're, they're formed by us. You know what Calvin said. He said, the heart of man is an idol manufacturing place. We manufacture idols. And, and before we throw too many stones at Hindus, just look at our idols. And you know about them. They are not worth following because what? We made them. 
And, and what does he go on to say from here? I, I am Yahweh. I am God. It's all caps. When you see L-O-R-D, all caps, look in the beginning. It says Yahweh. That is who he's talking about there. Besides me, there is no Savior. That's the message that we must give witness to. That, 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 that's the message that we have that he has entrusted to us. There are four billion people on this planet who have little or no understanding of the gospel. There are two billion that have no real clear understanding. And you know what? If we just sit here in the present format that we are working, you know what they have? They just have enough of an understanding of God that wants them to form a God or to make a God or to do something there because they know in their heart there must be a God and they'll worship it. And you know what? All that does is condemn them to hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that is the greatest injustice in the entire world as we sit here knowing that there is no Savior besides the one who has saved us. There's none. Zero. Nothing else. There is no other way. And when I was sitting with that Mormon brother, or not a brother, he's an American guy, obviously not a brother, I told him, I said, you know what? It says, in Christ Jesus, we were created anew for good works. It, good works coming out of me is because he creates it in me. It is not from what I do that I earn it. But he creates me for that thing, and that's what God is looking for. He's looking for blind people who have eyes and deaf people who have ears to create in them the force of witness to take this to the ends of the earth because that's how he's doing it, changing us and changing the world by his sovereign power in a harder way than we could ever imagine because it doesn't seem that it is possible. He goes on. I declared saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. He declared. We talked about it a second ago. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth. Through your seed, I'm going to bless. I am going to make that happen. And we find there that with repeated failure on the part of Abraham, traded his wife out with Pharaoh, and then right on the eve of God working a mighty thing, he trades her out again for Abimelech, and God has to go back and say, nope, stop. And then God brings a chosen seed because he says, this is how I'm going to do it, and he begins to work through nothing. And then he begins to work through a people. And, and, and you know what? Those people, they go down to Egypt, and then he has to go down. They stay there so long that he has to go and save them. He, he, he sends Moses. He says, Go be my spokesman. Deliver my people. Part of that was because he wanted to show, I am a God who saved. That's when we got the Passover. That's when we first understood that the blood of the Lamb covers the heart and gives us life. Uh, he began to understand that there would be substitutionary atonement down the road. The people of Israel came back. They walked a time for the Lord. 
right under David in particular. And then they walked away again, and then God had to break them again. He took them to Babylon. He broke them. He disciplined them. And then right here he said, I'm bringing you back because you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to create witnesses there. Not only did he do that, he kept on doing that, and he kept on going all the way until Jesus came and walked, and he walked all the way to that cross, and on that cross he took our sin and our shame and died and rose again to conquer sin and death that we might be set free. And in that, he has given us the greatest gift. He keeps on seeking to save. He goes back right then in the very next passages there. You, you read John 21. It is the most marvelous thing. What? Peter denies him. Peter walked with Peter knew everything. He'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration, for goodness sakes. He knew that Jesus was not just a man. He saw him transfigured. He saw him in full godness. And then he still denied him. But God, in his loving kindness came there in John 21. And he brings Peter back. I mean, he looks at the details. Look back in your Bible. When was the last time Peter was around a charcoal fire? When he was denying it. When he swam on that shore, again, using the same word, the same fuel on that fire. He's roasting the fish. He's got a charcoal fire. What takes you back to an instant more than anything else? Smell. And then he begins to work on him all the way through that passage of Scripture. We see how he says, I want to redeem. Three times he asked him. Three times he denied him. Three times he affirmed his love. Christ worked in him. And then what does Peter say over there in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2? It, it's a great thing. He said, what? He found out then. He said, I have made you into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for my own possession. But then there's a that you may, what? Proclaim the excellencies of me, God, your Savior, because I took you out of darkness and brought you into light. I gave you mercy when there was no mercy. And I have made you who are not a people, my people. Wednesday night, I was at another church in Houston, and a great musician, David Gentile, young man, um, began to sing a song. It was, he called it Karen's song. He said he'd, he'd heard about Karen Watson, and maybe some of you have heard of her, her letter. In 2004, she died, and She'd left a letter, and probably many of you um, may have heard people read it in the past. And when, when he began to sing that song, I mean, boom, cut me to the quick, because I knew out of the several thousand people who were there, I was probably the one who knew Karen the best. She was on my team, our team. Uh, she lived just a few blocks from our house part of the time. When she came out, God had called her, clearly told her, I want you to go to Iraq. I want you to be at work in those things. She's from Bakersfield, California. She had been a member of a church. She came from a family that, that, that was broken in some ways. Uh, 
but, but she had found a church family there in Bakersfield that, that brought her and taught her about Jesus and grew her up in her faith. And, and out of that, she was called to, to leave there and to come. And, and uh, when she came, I had no idea about the letter, but uh, she said, God's called me. She went into Iraq, she set stuff up, and then fear sort of struck her, and I said, hey, you, you know, maybe God's saying you need to come out for a while. And so she came out, and she calmed down, and she was there in Amman, and, and uh, she's struggling, should I go back, should I not? And finally one day she said, I've just got to stay here uh, for a while. And, and as she was staying here, we had, had things opened up in Iraq in, in an amazing way. And... Uh, Probably all of you know of this town called Sinjar. It's uh, where Yazidis live. Well, two young Yazidi men had lived in our city there in Jordan. And, and we had gotten to know them. And, and they wanted us to go to their city. And myself and Eddie, a colleague of mine, we had worked it out to, for that to go, go to that city. And these two guys were helping us with a relief project that we wanted to demonstrate the love of God in that place. So we went to Sinjar and... And, and when we went there, there was this, this guy, an old guy. We looked like Gandalf. I don't know if big, long beard, shepherd staff. You know, he could have just been in the movie, actually. And uh, he looked at us and he said, for a thousand years, we Yazidis have been waiting for somebody to reach out to us in love. Thank you for coming and loving us. Well, we were pouring stuff in there, and then all of a sudden, an attack came about three weeks later. And uh, our two Yazidi friends had, uh, were in a truck and somebody unloaded an AK right behind it. Uh, Merwan was missed. The bullet went right over his head. But a couple bullets went in and hit Abu Juwan. And one came out his jaw. It went up through here. And how it happened, I don't know. it, But it came out his jaw. Um, those bullets just tumble and do all sorts of weird things. He was dying over in Mosul and... We got a way for him to be airlifted to uh, our city. We met him, and Karen took the lead on taking care of him. And, and it was a lot of us, and we began to work with those folks. And, and Yazidis are Zoroastrian. Uh, they worship the peacock and, and the angel of light. And the Muslims call them devil worshipers. Uh, but they, they were different, and they needed. They responded to the gospel uh, this family started hearing the gospel and, and going. But while, Marwa, while Abu Juwan was in the hospital with this, he was struggling day in, and Karen went day in, day out, looking on him and his family. One night he almost died, and she was there just at the right moment to get the doctors and the nurses to save his life. He got better, and after he got better, I was sitting in Popeye's chicken with Karen, and she said, it's time for me to go back to Iraq. I said, really? And uh, she said, no, the, the Lord's given me a clear word. And she, along with four others, went into Iraq. And March 15th, just a few weeks later, they were coming out of Mosul after looking at a project that they were doing. And they turned right there at the gate of Nineveh and and started to go that way, and they were blocked, and then all of a sudden from behind, uh, another group of people unloaded some AKs into their vehicle, and Karen died, along with Larry and Jean and David. 
David didn't die immediately. Carrie, probably you've heard her story, survived. That day I was going, Lord, so much potential. Wasted. What in the world's going on? As I heard her story the other night, I suddenly realized, whoa, the story isn't done. Because you see, last year you heard all about the Yazidis. Well, my friend, our brother, who is a, a Yazidi background believer, uh, he calls me up and said, John, I'm coming to see you. And he flew to this country and he found a way to come see me. He said, you know, I want, I, I've got to help my people. I've got to help my people know. They've got to know about the only way to salvation and we've got to help them in this plight. And he said the only people who paid any attention to him were friends of Karen's who loved the Lord. Today, in the hook, there's outreach. There are people going, bringing real, genuine love in the midst of a very difficult point in there. And it was right then that I said, Oh, Lord, now I begin to understand what you taught Karen before she even came when she wrote this letter. Listen to her letter. She wrote as she began her journey, all by faith, dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this in event of death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place, but I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was my expectation. His glory, my reward. Missionary heart, missionary hearts care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dreams more than some think is practical. Expects more than some think is possible. I was not called to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family. In him, Karen. God did not forget. God is carrying that light that has been passed to another one, to a unreached people groups because of what she had received from him about the, his love of the nations. And that is moving forward. Friends, brothers and sisters, we cannot live as comfortable people who have been saved and have the grace of God poured out on us richly and given bounty that we don't even deserve and there be billions who are damned to hell and will die and never, ever, ever know anything because they simply didn't know the gospel even for a chance to hear. Not once. We cannot stand as a church and let unreached, unengaged, unthought of people groups die and go to hell. It has to become intolerable to us. And when it does, God will use us to be like Karen to say, it's glory, my reward. Father, 
you have brought us to this place this day. Not for our comfort, not for our joy, but to know you and to know that you are worthy of everything we have and everything that we are. And Lord, we know in 10,000 years, we will say, Lord, I wish I had given you myself more completely every day. Because the nations are what you have promised Abraham long ago that you will bless all through. Lord, we want to be part of your process of fulfilling your promise that people from every language, every tribe, every nation, every people will stand before you blessed because of your promise to them. Lord, Stir our hearts. Don't let us live like people who just stand up and say, I believe and live like we want. But let us be people who've been recreated in Christ unto good works to change the world in which you have called us to the nations that they might hear and know. Starting here in Mount Pleasant, across Charleston, across the state, across the south, across the nation, across the world. One light at a time, Lord, may we serve you. In Christ's name we pray.